Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us today for another update, we did something similar to this last year, is Kevin Cry, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Waterfowl Program Leader. Kevin, welcome back to the DU Podcast. Glad to be back. It's been a while and, and looking forward to visiting with you guys. Absolutely. Now, uh, we've got an email this week that you guys, you know, recently published the results of your midwinter waterfowl survey. And it is super exciting to see for us. We just kind of like to see how the distributions are going. I'm sure that it's awesome for you. But before we get into the numbers, let's do kind of a recap of, you know, Texas waterfowl season. This is, you know, we're in the last week of January. Uh, I don't know specifically when, you know, your seasons are closing, um, but, you know, I know it's coming to an end for sure. So let's talk about, you know, from the beginning to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, our, like you said, we are in our last uh, two weekends. So we close uh, the last Sunday in January. Okay. Uh, so I believe that's the 29th or 30th. But, yeah, so it was um, um, a very interesting year. Obviously, coming into the season, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, associated with, you know, the drought in the prairies, um, conversations about duck numbers, potentially even being low enough to trigger, uh, something other than a, a liberal season for the first time in 27 years or 25 years, something like that. And, and so, um, you know, going into it, the reality is we had a, a, a really, really wet June and July. So mm-hmm. across the board, the state of Texas was looking really good. Um, August hit and, 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 and not only was it wet in June and July, it was abnormally cool. <clears throat> All the way to deep South Texas, it was abnormally cool. So we weren't getting those horrible hot temperatures. But August hit, um, and boy, did it change. Um, the, the rain machine stopped. Uh, the heat came, um, and it changed the entire landscape for the state of Texas, like overnight. Um, high Plains Playas um, almost completely dried up in September and October. Just a handful of basins holding water. Uh, to this day when there was a large percentage of them holding water early. Um, East Texas reservoirs uh, started receding quickly. Um, and then even all the way down to the Gulf Coast prairies and marshes, um, you know, things were uh, changing pretty rapidly. So uh, the good news is our September field hunting, um, uh, especially on the Gulf Coast and the prairies, was very successful. We had those that had water um, shot a lot of teal. Yeah. Um, parts of North, Northeast Texas, you know, it, it was almost for the most part didn't exist as a teal season. Um, you know, there was, there wasn't the kind of water that they were looking for, um, unfortunately. And so, you know, we kind of had, we had a good teal season and, and people were pretty successful in places and, you know, big duck season rolls around. It still hasn't gotten, um, wet. Um, we're still abnormally warm. Um, long story short, it ended up being one of the driest, um, winters on record for the state of Texas, at wow. least during our duck season. Mm-hmm. Um, December was officially the driest December in, in history. Um, or excuse me, warmest. And then, uh, the, the drought just, just started setting in and getting worse and worse uh, yeah. across most of the state. And, and yeah, we, we definitely were hearing it, um, either from the hunters or from our WMA managers, uh, success was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, as a whole for the state of Texas, people were saying it's some of the worst they've seen uh, yeah. the bays were empty. Uh, the, the ponds of central Texas and East Texas were empty. Uh, a lot of this I saw with my own eyes. I mean, it was real. Um, and so, 
it was, uh, you know, kind of looking gloom and doom um, leading up to our midwinter survey, uh, which is, you know, typically the first week of January. And as many will recall, um, you know, that we had a New Year's front that came in New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And it was a really significant front that made it all the way to the Gulf Coast. And just a few days later, it was followed up with a repeat. And ultimately, that was a game changer uh, for duck hunters in, in the state of Texas. You know, literally overnight, people started saying, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing birds finally. Birds are on ponds. I'm seeing, you know, I'm shooting quite a few. Um, and so it kind of saved our season. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the month of January was pretty much for most people. That's all the season really ended up being or is. And luckily we still have a couple weekends left. And, um, so the, the interesting part is leading up into the midwinter survey, it was looking bad. And, you know, we're on the heels of a 2021 midwinter survey that was the lowest, um, on record for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the lowest number we've seen since we've changed survey methodology. Uh, so last year we had a very, very low number. It was looking like we were going to probably go lower than that. Wow. And those two January fronts really changed everything um, for a, a good portion of the state. Um, and um, we were able to get the airplanes up and get a good look at the landscape. And ultimately we had about a 50% increase from, from last year, uh, our total duck estimate for the state of Texas. And you know, that's, that's fantastic. It's good to see. Um, but you also got to remember that's 50% increase from the all time low. So yeah, we really didn't have anywhere to go, but, up. so, <laughs> yeah, well, I just find it, it's a little bit, you know, going back. Cause we, we had a conversation in, at the beginning of teal season, um, this year. And I remember you specifically saying like, man, like we are in grit, like everywhere in Texas appears to be in pretty good shape habitat wise. And it's like yeah, we were. the moment that, you know, that podcast went out, yep. everything changed, you know, it's like things started to decline. So it's interesting to hear, um, you know, how quickly, you know, that habitat changed and, and how hunters um, all were impacted by that. So, yeah. you know, greatly. And I heard some good things, I mean, especially early, everyone was pretty happy in Texas uh, that I talked to. Now, granted, most right. of the guys I talked to were on the coast or, you know, kind of that um, you know, coastal prairie area, some of those ag fields down there had water, you know, didn't matter if the drought for them as much, but, um, so it's interesting to hear, you know, that whole month of December, you know, was, was really a struggle for guys in Texas. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's places down there in the, in the coastal prairie and that, that, that rice prairie, um, where we have, you know, individual clubs, individual landowners, um, that, you know, are investing, ridiculous amounts of money and time to put water on the landscape for their hunters. And, and they were very, very successful. As a matter of fact, it, <clears throat> it's years like this that they're most successful because they, you know, are kind of the, the, the island of water that exists on the landscape. And, and they, <clears throat> they had lots of birds, but the shocking part was you can get just a couple miles past their fence and the skies are empty. Yeah. Just absolutely empty. And then you go to some of their, their properties, you know, where they have, sanctuary or you know some of the fields they even hunt and rotate and and you know it just looks you know like what's the problem but it was a small area for you know when you start thinking about the big picture especially when you start getting down to the coastal marsh mm-hmm. and and up and down into the bay system it was um you know there was a lot of frustrated hunters you know with empty skies yeah um you know and you know the reality is it's it's a you know it's it's a multifaceted equation of why ducks migrate and things, but you know, that those, those warm, dry, um, 
temperatures throughout most of the fall extended well uh, up the flyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was uh, just on the phone with um, my colleague in Nebraska and, and they were breaking temperature records in December as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was just, we never had that, that push uh, this year, you know, and you couple that with, <clears throat> you know, low production, not as many juveniles in the flock, you know, we were kind of getting both barrels of, of that equation. And, and when you start looking, and we'll talk about in a minute, when you start peeling back some of the layers of the onion and look at <clears throat> where we did find birds in the state of Texas, uh, it's a big state. So it's not all the same story as you can imagine. And, and we've talked about before, but you know, like Northeast Texas, uh, where we saw very few birds, um, even after those two fronts, we still saw very few birds. Um, it's, it's not a agricultural dominated landscape. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, horse pastures and, and hay fields and, and cut over bottoms. And, and so it's, it's kind of, um, you know, not ideal for, for waterfowl anymore. And, and what draws ducks to that landscape, what draws ducks to East Texas is big rain events, yeah. you know, flooding events, you know, rivers that get out of their banks, sheet water on the landscape, ponds that are swollen into terrestrial vegetation, you know, that, that new water, that new food resource that suddenly enters the landscape after those big rain events. And we've never had a single rain event like that all year. Wow. And so there's just nothing was there to really draw birds to that landscape. <clears throat> you know, it definitely got a little better after those fronts and started getting some better reports, but um, nothing like it should be. Um, uh, ultimately, our, our survey results showed the the lowest estimate we ever have had for ducks uh, in the oaks and prairies of East and North Texas. So do you get some feedback from, uh, you know, from, from people out there that maybe don't necessarily understand how, you know, just that little, just a couple little rain events can really, you know, be a game changer for people in that area. Do people kind of understand that? You're dealing with, you deal with, some of these hunters have been around a long time and, and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Northeast Texas was kind of the, you know, kind of the mallard capital of Texas and they had really good hunting consistently and, you know, things have just kind of, um, stabilized, which is never good for, for duck habitat. You know, you like change. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, um, you know, they're used to better hunting and when they see these things change, they get frustrated. And, and, And I understand that for sure. Um, and they start asking questions and yeah, you know, you do try your best to, um, explain to them what is the attractant these days, you know, our bottom lands are, are not high quality, um, uh, you know, like you would expect in the white river, uh, in places in Arkansas with a bunch of mass producing trees. Um, but you know, <laughs> when we do get those big rain events, there's bugs and seeds and, and, you know, just even hay fields. Yeah. If they get flooded, birds will flock to them. And, um, and so, yeah, um, the complaints were there. Um, a lot of hunters did realize that it was warm and they were expecting that, but, um, frustration was still abundant. Yeah. uh, Rightfully so. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's understandable. I mean, that's, but you know, that's not something that necessarily we can control there. I think as duck hunters, we, we try to remain as optimistic as possible when even dealing with, I mean, I know just for myself, we, we dealt with the, you know, really warm 
fairly dry over in Arkansas where I hunt. Um, and, and we still went and, and maybe we, we took the focus off of, uh, the successful hunting as much as, Hey, you know, let's do a prime rib, you know, on the grill. Right. Let's, you know, right. let's, you know, I guess maybe we yeah. just, we're like, we're still going to duck camp, but we may not right. shoot any ducks. So I guess that's, you know, and, and that's frustrating for people too. It can be, um, it is. I guess yeah. it's all in the mentality. I mean, especially those that, you know, have a history of what it, what it, what they've experienced in their past and and so yeah i mean it's it's there's a lot of aspects of duck hunting but you know people get into duck hunting because they want to shoot shoot some ducks that's right so absolutely that's what it's about let's get into these midwinter uh survey results because i think there's a bunch of numbers on here that really jump out to me and i'm i'm not i you know i'm not the scientist type here we we need to have dr mike brazier on for that you know to have him look at the data in that perspective but when i see some of these big numbers on here i'm like oh man that's awesome so so let's start out you know we or i guess you said we'll start out with the dabblers because that's kind of the top of the chart here so let's talk about the dabbler distribution in texas during the survey Overall, um, there's a couple things that really stand out is, uh, you know, the panhandle was very dry mm-hmm. um, and we were also cold at the time. So what little water we had, most of it was frozen. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at Texas long-term trends in dabblers, it's declining, you know, f- for the last 26 years for sure. And um, we did have a little jump this year um, and, and it really came from one location, maybe two. Um, the Rolling Plains um, is the area of cent- north central Texas, which is, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth, west to, you know, the Caprock, you know, all the way out to San Angelo, up mm-hmm. to like Childress. And, um, it's, um, it's a, an arid, droughty landscape, but it has, you know, abundant, abundant, abundant stock ponds on that landscape. And, um, even when it's dry, there's still water in most of them. Um, the cool thing is you, some of them, it's, a, it's such a big area. Some of them were, you know, at, f- at full stage, some of them were, you know, receded, um, but I'd driven through this country a number of times, you know, November and December and seen almost zero ducks on pond. And uh, it was a real shock when we got out there in the sky, you know, following those two fronts, um, seeing the abundance of birds that showed up on those ponds. And um, most of those birds out there are dabbling ducks, um, a lot of widgeon, a lot of gadwall, um, a pretty good number of mallards this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we counted something like 700 in and or excuse me 919,000 ducks um in the rolling plains wow. um, it's the second highest estimate we've ever had for that region yeah um it was a real shock um you know i even said something to uh, the other observer is like are you seeing as many ducks out the side your side of the airplane as i am <laughs> you know ponds with you know two and three hundred um ducks on it you know of all kinds of, of, of species um just really wasn't expecting that so that was a real surprise but um, as you went to the coast, um, dabbler numbers were not as high, even though the coastal estimate was very high, but mm-hmm. that was driven by, uh, some diving ducks that we found. Um, we'll visit about that in a minute, but, um, really the only other really good dabbler place this year in Texas, other than Rolling Plains was South Texas brush country, San Antonio, um, hmm. west to the river down towards, uh, Brownsville, you know, true South Texas. Yeah. Um, again, man-made ponds on the landscape, not near as dense as, say, <clears throat> uh, the Rolling Plains or the Oaks and Prairies, but where there were 
where there was water, where they encountered water, they found ducks. Yeah. And I believe they had almost half a million birds down there in that landscape, um, most of which being dabblers as yeah. well. It looks like green wings and gadwalls really made up the large portion of that, uh, which is interesting, you know, based on that kind of landscape. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's a it's a, a landscape that doesn't get a lot of pressure uh, when it is wet, uh, which we had a very wet summer in that landscape in spring, um, flooding um, and a lot of that water persisted in those ponds, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and yeah, um, some birds showed up there. And, um, but other than that, you know, uh, East Texas, Northeast Texas dabblers were, were very, very, very poor. Um, you know, piney woods, as we call it, we, we encountered just very few ducks, something like 50,000 total ducks, uh, the Oaks and Prairies, uh, many years. It's a very large chunk of the state of Texas, you know, East of Dallas, uh, to the piney you know, the pine curtain, if I call it south, all the way down almost to the Texas coast. It's a very large area Mm -hmm. and, um, very, very abundant, uh, water bodies in that landscape. Um, many, many years it has well over a million ducks and many, many years it's, uh, the number one, uh, eco region in the state for ducks, especially dabblers. And, um, as a whole, the entire eco region, we only counted 2000 or two, 200,000 ducks, which as I mentioned to you earlier was the lowest estimate we've ever had for that landscape. Yeah. And we have a lot of duck hunters in that landscape. I mean, you know, that's where Dallas resides, right? Oh, Dallas yeah. and Fort Worth. And so there's a lot of duck hunters coming out of, of, of that Metroplex and, and um, you know, that's where a lot of the frustration was coming from. Yeah. I mean, it looks like you're down 72% from last year. Um, and yeah. That, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a big number. Yeah. It's a big decline. And last year was not good. <laughs> last, yeah. Like I said, last year was uh, at the time, all time low as well. So, um, you know, um, whatever reason the birds preferred the stock ponds of the rolling plains this year compared to the oaks and prairies. And, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, that oak, that oaks or the rolling plains number really kind of drove uh, up our numbers really yeah. good this year. Um, that along with uh, some divers we encountered down on the Texas coast. <clears throat> yeah. I wanted to ask you about that because that, that's one of those numbers on the sheet that just jumps out at you. And it, you know, it looks like you guys counted, you know, a little over 1.7 million divers, um, throughout yeah. Texas. Um, but almost 1.4 of those were redheads in the yep. on the coast that's a huge number it's it's enormous and i know it jumps out trust me mm-hmm. i've been here and i've been getting an earful uh, from everybody Brazier's not the including, only one including, including your friend mr brazier um, <laughs> he's not the only one to say think that there's a mistake there yeah no without question uh there isn't a, a mistake uh, but we do need to kind of explain that number and the methodology at which we survey ducks. Um, the very first thing I want to say is we've been flying this methodology the exact same way in the exact same spots for 27, 26 years. And the reality is, um, despite uh, hunter reports of the bays being nearly vacant <laughs> of ducks, mm-hmm. which is real, um, Again, remembering that we had two cold fronts, significant cold fronts that we were on the heels of, and things changed real quickly despite um, that. Um, underneath the aircraft, uh, we've never counted more redheads uh, in wow. 26 years. Now, the methodology which we use to sample the landscape, we're not counting every duck in, in Texas. Yeah. no way you could do that. Mm. So we're literally sampling the landscape. Is that transect methodology, you know, which is, you know, only about a quarter mile wide and you fly so many miles uh, per transect and with clump species the transect methodology kind of starts to fall apart and what i mean by that is you know geese diving ducks like scop and redheads they tend to get in very very large flocks in you know kind of a a small area if you will 
whereas dabbling ducks tend to spread out across the landscape and use the habitats which are available to them. And so uh, the reality is, yeah, we flew over more redheads than we've ever flown over in our history because that that estimate, the final estimate of 1.3 million redheads is the all-time record high for the state of Texas. Now, that is a midpoint of the range, if you will. And so it could be as high as a couple million. It could be as low as 400,000. That's the way the science works. And so that's the midpoint. And so the reality is, yeah, we flew over our, our observers flew over a couple of huge rafts of redheads in deep South Texas in the base. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, those things go on for miles. Oh, yeah. It just so happened, you know, that the, 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 the weather conditions were, were perfect. It was calm. They weren't tucked up against some bank hiding. They weren't, um, you know, just a couple, you know, hundred yards off transect. They happen to be right underneath the transect <laughs> and we can't control that. Um, the good news is, yeah, that may be an overestimate, uh, but that's what the data showed us. Yeah. So in, in, in many ways, take it with a grain of salt. The good news is they encountered a pile of redheads. Yeah. And that's, that's fact. Um, you know, when you expand that out, it's, it's probably a little high, but that's the way the science works. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that uh, it's sometimes difficult to explain, but that's why you don't count geese in that method. Yeah. Um, you know, ideally you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do that with redheads, but uh, we don't have the resources to go out there and, and, cover every square inch of every single one of our base systems. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just know it's it's probably very difficult for you guys to post this 1.36 number yeah, and having the guys like, calling oh you like, especially, man. Especially knowing uh, the, the feedback I was getting yeah. uh, of, of from hunters and what they were seeing in that landscape. So I know that's going to be a number that's going to be called out. But um, again, grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But they did see a bunch of redheads, which is good news. Yeah. And, and most likely they were new arrivals due to the, the, those, those really significant cold fronts. Um, you know, it's just sometimes they're underneath the aircraft and sometimes they're not. And this year they were underneath the aircraft <clears throat> by the thousands. I mean, it's not like they, you know, saw a couple hundred underneath the aircraft. They, they counted tens of thousands underneath the aircraft. So, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's that's right down there, like Laguna Madre. Uh, yeah, yeah. Corpus Christi South, essentially. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's that's such a cool area. And, and you know, I just, I've been down there several times and every time I, somebody talks about it, that's all I think about it. Those big redheads. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it, it's pretty, that's pre- pretty awesome area. And that's a pretty awesome bird down there. And, and, and it's really probably not expected that there's tens of thousands down there following a bunch of, you know, multiple cold fronts on the heels of each other. I mean, exactly. that's, that's exactly. what that is. It has been frustrating for hunters, especially in the Northern Bays. As you get North of Corpus, there was a lot, historically, a lot more consistent, a much more abundant numbers of scop and redheads uh in those systems that they're not seeing anymore and, and it is frustrating for them and so that i'm sure that just makes them looking at um you know this, this very high estimate of redheads you know all the more skeptic but um there's just there's a lot going on with that bird and there's a lot going on with in those base systems with with um activity human activity from hunting and fishing and and um they're just getting more and more intolerant of you know, our actions. And when you do find them, and that's kind of what this survey suggests is when you do find them, they're all together yeah. and, you know, they're, 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 they're no longer, you know, stretching out up and down the coast. They're all together kind of, you know, safety in numbers, if you will. And it just so happened that, you know, they went underneath our aircraft this year. So, <laughs> well, very, it's very cool either way. I mean, and I think it's awesome that you are able to provide that explanation of that number for, for people who are looking at it. I think that's important. Um, right. You know, as far as the geese goes, you know, there's winners, there's losers here, um, just mm-hmm. like anywhere else. Um, but it looked like 
you know, some areas really improved as far as Canada geese and, and white fronts in, in some areas. And then snows mm-hmm. kind of, kind of shifted a little bit, um, historically, but it looks like you had, had a decent number of snows. Yeah. So our, we, we do our, our goose survey, um, a couple of weeks prior to our, our duck survey. So it's, it's typically the first, the week prior to Christmas on the Texas coast. Um, everywhere else we do it in conjunction with our, our duck survey in January. So, um, our, our coastal goose survey was, was flown, uh, the week before Christmas, again, reminding ourselves that that was right in the throes of, uh, you know, record heat and dryness. And so, um, realistically, you know, our estimate of coastwide estimate of snow geese was, um, 261,000 total snow geese for the entire Texas coast. It, that's actually was kind of shockingly high considering conditions. Um, and so, 261,000 sounds like a lot of geese, but you know, as the hunters in the state of Texas and the people who reside in that landscape and have a history there know that's, that's dismal compared to what it used to be absolutely dismal. And it's, um, you know, just for the most part, extremely unfortunate that that we're continuing to see these declines. Um, so yeah, we, we did find, um, you know, some, some good flocks again, these are well where we do find geese, you know, safety in numbers, they seem to all be together for a reason they're not stretched out across the landscape and it's kind of like i was talking about earlier with those ducks in the prairie they're on properties that are you know where people are taking very good care of those geese you know not harassing them you know putting very little pressure on them providing roost ponds um and so they're not necessarily uh available for everyone to see as they're driving down the highway they're not flying across the landscape and so it you know again more frustration but Luckily, we do have landowners. We do have people that are out there still uh, very, very actively providing habitat for these birds. And, and we see that. And that's what we saw here with that, that estimate. Um, they were just in a, a handful of places on a few really good uh, properties that are managing for them. Um, one of the big frustrations is uh, historically, the Texas coast had abundance of not only white fronts, but uh, small Canada geese. White front estimate for the entire Texas coast was less than ten thousand. Um, you know, we we used to count a half a million. Um, uh, our Canada goose estimate, six or seven consecutive years, was zero. We haven't detected a Canada goose on our survey in that landscape in in a long time. Um, so they're, they they kind of become the unicorn for that landscape. How long has that been? Do you know just offhand? Has it been like 15, 18, 20 years? So for like the last six years, we haven't detected a single Canada goose. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, historically, uh, you go back in, into the 90s and 80s, uh, Canada geese were uh, kind of bread and butter down there, and people shot a lot of them. And, you know, um, you know, very, very common to count 300,000 small Canada geese in that landscape. And, and so the, the dark goose, if you will, uh, white front Canada goose um, is, is, yeah, just kind of the disappearing from that landscape. Um, we do have geese elsewhere in the state of Texas. Um, and we found some really good concentrations, um, similar to what, um, uh, with the ducks, um, one of the, one of the numbers that really stands out is uh, the Rolling Plains goose estimate. Um, we have uh, a chain of wetlands in North of Abilene. I call it Winchester lakes. It is some of the finest goose hunting in, in North America. Um, consistently it's that country where you have a few wetlands and you have a bunch of pe- agricultural fields, uh, including peanut fields, which we all know uh, what peanuts are like to, to waterfowl. Um, and so it's, it's a real good attractant. Uh, really surprisingly, uh, almost similar 
uh, identically to the playas when we got there um, there was very little water left uh, there was only just about two or three basins holding water in that whole landscape and and um, where where there was water there was geese and so our, our total white fronted goose estimate uh, for that region was an all-time record high uh, we counted just over uh, 102,000 white fronts um, and, and some really really large groups at a couple of real small spots so um, you know, Arkansas clearly has the, the lion's share of, of those birds now, but in that landscape, they're pretty well spread out. Um, and so my guess is that's probably the single largest concentration of white fronts in all of North America as we speak, <clears throat> you know, in such a very, very, very small spot. <laughs> so it's really cool to see. And, and we were glad to see that we still have those birds there and, and, um, and, and, Looking at a little bit bigger picture, uh, Canada geese, you know, the goose numbers, Canada goose numbers are really driven these days by the high plains, you know, the, the panhandle area. Um, as I mentioned, we're extremely dry here. Um, we were probably north of 50% of our basins wet in the end of July. Uh, we're way, way short of 1% of basins full right now. And so we had one of the driest, windiest, hottest falls I've ever seen. Every single day, it looked like a dust bowl. Or every other day, it looked like a dust bowl up here. Um, and it was just really tough on surface water. Um, but what's interesting um, about this landscape is, you know, there's still abundance of agricultural crops here, which obviously is a draw. Um, but these birds so, so very quickly, in just a handful of years, um, learn that there's abundant, reliable, safe water inside the urban areas. Uh, and it's it's not a really abundant urban areas up here, but we have every little town has uh, you know a city park pond, their sewage affluent pond, um, and then obviously the, the two bigger towns of Lubbock and Amarillo have an abundance of surface water in the city limits um, associated with borrow pits for construction or um, you know city parks. And um, yeah, it was way over fifty percent of the Canada geese we counted in the high plains were inside urban areas. Uh, yeah, and uh, what was the estimate? Four hundred and forty thousand total Canada geese, something like that. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was a, it was a nice number. It was up quite a bit from the previous year. Um, but what's really interesting is we didn't detect a lot of them out on the landscape. You know, using plyo wetlands as much as um, you know, finding them inside city limits. So we spent a lot of time flying from city to city, looking at all the little water that is associated with those towns, and and it's sometimes just shocking how many birds can pile into a very, very small body of water um, when it's dry like this. And that also is kind of is a, is a real testament to these birds' adaptability. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean they, yeah. they they will find a way. Yeah, no, they do. And, um, and there's there's growing um, interest in hunting these birds. <laughs> you know, there's there's less and less places for people to hunt. And, you know, this one's certainly one on, on a lot of people's lists these days. And, and um, part of the the birds seeking um, those water bodies inside those protected areas of the city limits has to do with, you know, the potential disturbance they're, they're experiencing on the landscape, you know, out in the, on, on the countryside. And so it's just safe, you know, it's safe from predators. It's safe from uh, all kinds of things and, and it's reliable. It's always there. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's pretty interesting how quickly they did that. Um, we have a, a project starting, uh, hopefully this time next year or even earlier, we'll start marking some of these birds with uh, this transmitter technology, um, these small Canada geese or what they now call cacklers. 
um, and learn a lot more about uh, how they use this landscape, you know, uh, in addition to, you know, some nesting ecology stuff and migration ecology stuff. But um, we're going to start peeling that onion back a little bit more and learning more about um, the behavior of these birds in the coming years. <clears throat> cool. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. So, so pretty much overall, um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the midwinter surveys kind of indicated a 43 percent increase in waterfowl throughout the state of texas based on 2021 numbers as well um so so like you mentioned like that's a good thing but it's but 2021 was pretty much the lowest count it was bad yeah it was bad so i mean we like i said we only had we had nowhere to go but up but like i said you know even two weeks prior to the survey i was i was certain that we were going to have a lower count than the previous year and uh so yeah it was we were saved by those fronts um new birds pushed in um, my colleagues uh, north of us, um, you know, in their efforts for doing the exact same survey, um, were looked at a lot of ice. Is <laughs> basically what they told me. So they they counted very few ducks north of us, and so the birds really just didn't have a lot of places to go. And so that's what pushed them into the state. You know, uh, right there at the beginning of the new year. No, this has been great. Um, is there anything else about the survey that that you kind of want to share with our listeners that think? you know, maybe they should, they should know about the Texas midwinter. Well, yeah, I mean, I always get a lot of questions of timing, uh, why it's done and why do you count then? Some people feel like that's not when the most ducks are here. And that, and that's the, the concept of the midwinter survey isn't, um, for us to, um, you know, pick the cherry pick the best time and go and go count. It's the timing is the only thing that we can control. Um, and it's not just us. It's a, historically, it was a very significant national effort. Um, there's a number of states on both coast, Pacific and Atlantic Flyway that no longer fly it. All the Central Flyway states uh, participate in Midwinter Survey. and um, The vast majority of the Mississippi Flyway states do as well. And, and it's really designed to just kind of get a snapshot in time, uh, a single moment when everybody's out looking around to get kind of a distribution uh, of birds across the landscape. Um, yeah, I mean, it, ideally we would do it more often. Um, for us to do this one survey, it's a Herculean effort. <laughs> Herculean yeah, effort for us that. to get, you know, three planes with three crews in the sky and operate for, you know, a week and a half. Um, and so it's just um, really un, uh, impossible, if you will, uh, for us to pull the resources together to do it more often. Um, and so it's, it, it's a yeah. snapshot in time and it's not, you know, things can change the second we're done, you know, just like this year, things change for the good right before flying. We have all kinds of examples where things change for the bad right before flying it or right after we flew it, things started getting much better. Um, and so it's really just a snapshot in time. It, it doesn't tell you the full story of the breadth of the fall or winter. And, and yeah. you know, that's what hunters are experiencing. So. It's it's a baseline that you guys are all kind of following. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's ducks coming and going uh, like crazy. Uh, you know, one thing we have learned from an abundance of new telemetry projects is it's just how much ducks and geese actually move. Um, it's it's kind of shocking uh, some of the movements that we're seeing. Um, still not fully understanding why they do it, um, and so we haven't cracked that code necessarily yet, but. It's just it's shocking how much they move, and in hunters' eyes, um, and rightfully so, because that's kind of what we've taught them for years, and that's kind of what we thought for years, is it's always a north-south uh, type of movement. You know, the birds mm-hmm. just got here. Well, 
yeah, suddenly there might be some new birds um, in your pond. Um, but they could have very well come from the West. They could have well, very well come from the East. They could have very well come from the South. Um, it's not like they, you know, they only come from Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska. Uh, we have lots of interflyway uh, transfer. Um, we had a, one of our marked hen pintails from three years ago uh, that was talking to us for three years. She spent, um, in that three years, she visited three different flyways in three different countries. And so um, these birds are, are uh, sampling the landscape. They're moving around, um, you know, habitat and weather conditions are what is driving that. Uh, in addition to that, they're, like I said earlier, you know, human disturbance is real. And, you know, yeah. they're just not going to sit around and, and let people harass them uh, day in and day out. They're just going to go somewhere else. And, you know, one of the things that's, that's good about this survey is we can, we can start to kind of piece that pie together. Um, you know, just being able to have the ability to say where we're seeing ducks in the state of Texas and, you know, and seeing declines, long-term declines, you know, and that's where yeah. these databases really get their power is, you know, you start building year upon year upon year. Um, that's when the data starts getting stronger and you can kind of start making references from it and, uh, seeing trends, true trends. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 a it's very important. It helps, uh, the waterfowl program in Texas makes some good decisions. It helps have conversations with hunters. Um, it helps even guide some of our, our restoration and, and habitat delivery, um, where we're going to spend money type things. And, um, and so it's, it's a very important survey. Uh, but it can it very, very quickly be misinterpreted <laughs> very quickly. Well, that's why we wanted to get you on here to really kind of dive in and explain what it is. And I think another thing for people to think about and something that kind of popped into my head, you mentioned that it's like a Herculean effort to get this survey done. Um, I would imagine that someone, and I don't even know if they do and I'm assuming they do, but the midwinter survey in Iowa is a lot different logistically yeah. than the midwinter survey in yeah. Texas, just based entirely on just the geographic landscape that yeah. Texas covers. Um, that's a, that, that, that changes the game for, uh, you know, even compared to Arkansas, yeah. you know, Arkansas midwinter, um, that is, that is such a, a drastic difference in just overall size. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's, uh, not only when you start thinking about the, the breadth of the area we're dealing with, I mean, for the most part, the Oaks and Prairies, Eco region in itself is the size of Iowa, and so yeah, yeah uh, you, you think about the, the the size of the state, um, and then yeah, I mean the the distri- the the diversity of habitats in Texas is what really drives uh, the methodology in which we fly. Um, you know, you think about Texas north, south, east, west from from Prairie Playas to Coastal Marsh and and Laguna Madre to um, desert mountains with bighorn sheep, uh, all the way to, um, Caddo Lake, which is, you know, one of the largest, um, swamps in North America. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's very, very, very diverse, uh, state that, um, you know, you have to have the right methodology to, to sample it. And, and yeah, it takes a lot of time, a lot of money, uh, a lot of planning and, um, you know, things are changing by the day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things we hope we can hang on to to continue to have a little bit more, um, you know, educated conversation with our constituents. Um, you know, when they come to us with questions about, you know, explaining where birds were and, and, and why our seasons were so poor or, you know, why our seasons were so good. Um, 
it's the beauty of Texas is, is, is just as many people said it was terrible. I can find just as many people said it was one of the best I've ever had. And so for, for me, that's frustrating <laughs> because not everybody's experiencing that. And that's exactly I mean, that's all we care about is people being able to experience it and having a good time outdoors. And so it's, it's tough. Um, but that's what happens in a big giant landscape like this. No, it's awesome. And kudos to you guys for pulling it off once again. Um, I think everyone will find this very interesting. Even if our listeners are not in Texas, you know, if you can kind of look at these numbers and, you know, hear, you know, what Kevin is talking about, maybe you can kind of relate to that, you know, whether you're in Nebraska or Kansas or Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, even, you know, even Indiana, Illinois, I mean, the, the reality is these birds are potentially trading back and forth where, you know, as the science kind of is pointing to uh, more East West distribution throughout the wintering uh, period. It's really cool. And, and I think hope that everyone can, can really take a tidbit of information from this podcast, especially. Yeah. We're just learning and we're going to learn more uh, about this, these kind of movements. Uh, it's imperative that we do. And, and um, as we get information, we're going to share it. Awesome. Well, Kevin, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you joining me and uh, we'll have to get you back on uh, as soon as you start pulling together more of this awesome information. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Kevin Cry, Texas Parks and Wildlife Waterfowl Program Leader for coming on the show today and talking about the 2022 Midwinter Waterfowl Survey results. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Ducks.